Managing Director of EcoBusiness, and I'm excited to welcome our guest today, Lynette Leong, Chief Sustainability Officer of Capital Land Group. Capital Land Group is one of Asia's largest diversified real estate companies, and Lynette is tasked with leading the group's sustainability strategy and integrating them into its business and operations to drive ESG performance. Lynette is also on the boards of Singapore's National Environment Agency and the advisory boards of the National University of Singapore's School of Design and Environment and of Singapore Management University's Lee Kong Chien School of Business. Capitaland recently launched its Sustainability Master Plan, outlining its strategies and targets for 2030 and outlining a new metric called Return on Sustainability. So we are excited to be learning more from her today. Lynette, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Jessica. I'm so honoured and privileged to be here. I'd like to dive right in. So Capitaland recently launched a very exciting Sustainability X Challenge, which is a first by a real estate company. EcoBusiness is very excited to be partnering you on this inaugural initiative. Can you tell us a little bit more about your vision for this innovation and how does it form a key part of your sustainability strategy? Indeed, we are so excited because uh, the Sustainability Challenge is the first global platform for the built environment. So what we are hoping to do is to really push boundaries in innovation and uh, collaboration. And we feel that it is to solve problems in the built environment, you need a lot of partners in the ecosystem to come together. And so uh, aligned align with our Sustainability Master Plan, we were we are thinking that uh, there are a lot of uh, different solutions that are required to solve different pillars in our master plan. And in our master plan, we it, it's a very comprehensive strategic blueprint that's going to take us for the next 10 years. Um, we have set very ambitious targets. Um, and one of them is meeting the science-based target of uh, carbon emissions reduction. And it has been validated by them. So with that, there is also the, uh, besides energy, there is also water, waste, um, and also the indoor uh, build, building environments and health and safety. So with all these ambitious targets, how do we solve that? The, um, the targets are so ambitious that we don't think with the current technology, we're able to meet, frankly speaking. So that's why we said that yes, let's launch a platform and then crowdsource globally all solutions. And from Singapore and from different parts of the world where we have our footprint, we may not know what solutions are available. So far, uh, the response has been really very positive and it's coming from all over the world. So we're really excited to see uh, at the end when the submission window closes, what solutions come forth with the solutions, you're not just solving uh, one problem in one country, but you're solving the problem that exists in all our asset classes in uh, uh, countries around the world. So that's the exciting part. So the scalability is there. Absolutely. You know, I think if I was a prospective startup or a company, the application um, of our ideas into, you know, Capitaland's huge footprint all over the world would be a very exciting prospect. Can you share with us, you know, some specific examples of how you see them being applied across all your asset classes? Are there specific ideas that you think are, are particularly um, relevant for you and how are they going to help you reach your sustainability targets? So one of the key targets is clearly about reducing carbon emissions. 
uh, align with the science-based uh, target uh, initiative. And uh, so we are targeting uh, well below two degrees uh, centigrade scenario. And to do that, we will have to clearly reduce energy consumption. Um, but we, in a lot of our assets around the world, we are constrained by many factors. One of them is space. The other is uh, that uh, maybe weather conditions do not allow us to reduce or, or incorporate renewable energy. So, and then the third is that we want to ensure that our tenants or the occupiers of the building continue to uh, uh, to to have thermal comfort. You know, so we can reduce, like for example, in Singapore, you can reduce energy and uh, increase your temperature to twenty seven degrees, but it's unbearably hot. So we need to make sure that our uh, occupiers are still comfortable in that environment. So how do we do it? If we can just broaden the picture a little bit, because the Sustainability X challenge is obviously just one piece of your sustainability master plan, um, you know, and I've read it and it's super comprehensive. Um, and what was your journey like, you know, when you went about uh, target setting and setting out such a strategy? Um, what are some of your biggest challenges and pain points? So, uh, Capital Land has been on a sustainability journey for the past 20 years. Um, and the journey has been pretty, uh, I think, is progressive. We had set targets before, but this time around, for the next 10 years, we feel that we need to do a lot more. So the advantage we have is we've got a very firm foundation, and here is about catapulting from this platform. And uh, in the next 10 years, we want to be able to uh, uh, not just look at the um, environmental aspect. I think sustainability is about ESG, the environment, social and governance. So in the targets we've set, we've covered every uh, possible area. So environment is uh, about lowering carbon emissions, uh, transiting to a low carbon uh, model and uh, taking care of our water consumption making sure that uh, we are, our properties are not exposed unduly to flood risk, and then to incorporate circular economy to our practices. In addition to that, on the social side, it's about taking care of the health and safety of the occupiers and our human capital as well, upgrading the skill set. And one very important thing is about our customers. We want to ensure that our customers are also uh, coming alongside with us on the sustainability journey. And last but not the least is the supply chain. You know, how do we ensure that down the line, downstream, uh, the sustainability is ensured through the, the uh, ensuring that our suppliers uh, adhere to our code of conduct and are certified. We've got investors that are also looking at the financial aspect. So we do not neglect that. So while doing all these, we believe that it should improve the commercial viability of our projects, of our business as well. Um, so, but I think a lot of talk is around that, but how do we measure? That's why we've come up with uh, a metric called return on sustainability. Uh, I have to admit that it is a work in progress. Um, uh, but I think a lot of uh, uh, different companies are trying to, to come up with something like that. But I think we, we, we don't have the formula, but it, to my mind, we have already started measuring. For, for the past tw uh, 12 years, we have got a storehouse of data. So one of the important aspects is how 
by having reduced our utilities consumption, we have achieved a lot of savings. And uh, our statistics, our data shows that the, we have achieved about 11% of our operating expenses by having reduced uh, energy consumption and water consumption. So with that, that is, uh, will be uh, variable to our equation to return sustainability. The other is um, possibly if uh, we are able to uh, have our assets more sustainable, our risk should fall and therefore uh, the insurance premium hopefully will also drop. So that's another savings. Um, and then the other one is which we have already experienced is that through sustainable finance, uh, a few of our sustainability linked loans are packed to our sustainability performance. And uh, we have uh, achieved certain criteria and therefore we have also seen a reduction in our interest rates. So that is a very tangible savings to us. So if you add all these different variables, then you get the tangible savings. But of course, we're also trying to see what other forms of value we can uh, compute from there. It may not be monetary, uh, because we are catering to multiple stakeholders and different stakeholders look at value in different ways. So that's why we are, we are we're trying to see, you know, what is the best way to portray the return of sustainability. That's super fascinating to hear. Actually, you are right because the value of many companies now, even if you look at the S&P 500, it's actually in the intangibles, right? In the ESG performance, as well as the goodwill and the relationships that they've built with their stakeholders. So it's really exciting to hear how Capitaland is measuring its value, you know, um, in, in such a broad term. And I think one of the things as well is that ESG, um, you know, there used to be this misperception that if you were investing in ESG performance, um, that it'd be costly and, you know, that you would be sacrificing a return but as it has been borne out with the real estate companies um you know with your sustainability linked loans as well as uh, your lower premiums that actually esg performance makes business sense so actually that's a really uh, interesting point that you fleshed out for our listeners and um, that's really exciting um i'm just going to ask you about uh, you know this very highly competitive landscape obviously capital land is a very well-known uh, you know listed real estate company here um, and every year the dow jones sustainability index selects specific companies to be on it um, and you have been on it for many years it's highly competitive what is your secret to staying on this index I don't think we have any secret. We just do whatever is uh, necessary and uh, as a, a responsible company we should be doing. Um, so I, I guess we, we are, first of all, very honored to have been listed on, on that index for so many years and also uh, been, been um, recognized as uh, on the top tiers. Um, so I think with that, it, it actually helps us to also uh, look at ourselves against all the other global players and uh, help, it, will help, it helps us to benchmark ourselves and to see, all right, so we are, we're among the global sustainability leaders and what else can we do? So it's really um, helping ourselves improve from here on. Um, so secret sauce, well, I, I, I think it's about, uh, first of all, I think commitment is very important and uh, the commitment level within Capital Land starts from the very top from a board of directors. So our sustainability master plan is an example, is endorsed completely by the board. And then it go, and then it's also uh, throughout the entire organization, our top management. Uh, we, we have uh, 
members of management as well as our directors, independent directors sitting on our sustainability council. In fact, it's chaired by one of our independent directors. And then, and then it goes down to a working level. We have uh, different committees uh, tackling different areas of sustainability. That's how we execute that. Uh, throughout the entire organization. And it's actually a really good point you make about the boards, actually, because uh, from where we sit, you know, when we actually assess companies or report on them, the ones that usually do very well in ESG actually has board support. Um, and I think if you look at, you know, the financial industry now, the likes of BlackRock, um, who was also previously, you know, a guest on this podcast, um, they've pointed out that they've actually gone to each company and actually looked at their ESG performance. And if they were not doing well, started to vote out the directors. So I think this is really, you know, a huge trend that's coming up which ne had never been seen before. Uh, institutional investors actually um, looking at the performance, linking that to um, the, the board directors themselves and then actually acting on that. So I think this is a very encouraging trend and it's so encouraging to hear um, that, you know, that commitment from the, the, the really top level. Um, and actually moving on from that, you know, we have recently, you know, seen this whole movement within the corporate landscape globally on achieving, you know, net zero sustainability targets, for example. Google, Microsoft, the likes of the big tech companies, as well as the big energy companies such as BP and Shell, um, you know, unimaginable a few years ago, actually saying that they would be net zero by 2050. Um, do you think that this is achievable for the real estate companies? Uh, we had uh, Fraser's property, you know, surprises with a net zero target uh, just yesterday. Um, and do you think this momentum can be sustained? What are your thoughts? Um, I, applaud, I applaud Frazier's property for having made that bold statement. Um, so internally, we had thought about that, but we are looking at something that's practical. So that, and we are, our master plan is for the next 10 years and to be reviewed every two years, along with the uh, growth of our business. So um, because there's so much uncertainty out there and our business model continues to change and evolve along with the times. And therefore, uh, we feel that we want to make a solid commitment for the next 10 years. And we show very clearly how to get there. So in our master plan, you will see that we have uh, formulated five pathways. So I guess the devil is in the details and we want to be uh, very upfront and say, this is how we're gonna get there and you can monitor our progress. Uh, we, we issue a global sustainability report every year since, um, 12 years ago. So you can track our progress. So I think it's important to not just set a target, but to say, articulate how you're going to get there and monitor your progress and disclose your progress. So um, the, the net zero, we feel for the next 10 years, it will be a very tough call, which is why we have not committed to that. But uh, and that's why we feel that one of the things that is very important is innovation and collaboration in order to accelerate that, which is why we launched the Capital Land Sustainability X Challenge. And, uh, and besides that, um, the capital markets need to also come together to support it. So I think we've seen a good cap capital flows you mentioned earlier about BlackRock and all these investors. And I think that is very positive because um, once they recognize that, after all, real estate is a capital-intensive business, so you, you need the, the equity investors, also the debt investors involved through sustainable finance. So I think it takes the whole ecosystem, and, uh, uh, but 
for us, um, we also want to ensure that our carbon emissions targets are validated. Uh, so we actually have a pathway and that's why to have that uh, being validated by SBTI has been very uh, important to us. And we think that if we were to continue this trajectory, we will be able to get to car uh, net zero by maybe earlier than 2050. But, you know, it's about how to get there. So we say 2030, we are confident to be able to achieve that number. This is really exciting to hear because if you think about, um, you know, net zero targets, not just companies are making it, but even countries are making it, you know, the likes of, say, China has said, you know, net zero by 2060, uh, Japan and South Korea, as well as Singapore in the second half of the century says they want to be net zero. Um, and the points you made about transparency and accountability absolutely is so crucial because there's a conversation now about whether some of these targets are the subject of greenwashing and, you know, you can make very big targets, but where is the accountability? So super encouraging to hear you say that. Um, but what do you think is, you know, Capital Land's role? I mean, um, you are operating in many of these countries that say they want to be net zero. Um, does government policy and corporate policy then have to be aligned? How do you approach that? Um, I'm actually super excited about all these commitments made by the country because I think it takes that leadership level to flow through and then it will also help in many areas. For example, in China, um, we are already seeing the advancement in technology in different areas. And so with the government um, making that commitment in, in, in net zero, we, I, I, we expect there to be even more uh, innovation coming into the sustainability space. Um, so in the countries that we're operating in, uh, many, many, many of them have already declared net zero. So we, we are hoping that uh, with that, um, the community and uh, um, partners in the ecosystem can also help the government to uh, uh, operationalize some of these targets because we, are, uh, all, we all have practical problems to solve. And, and if we can meet and we can help them understand and then they can also then um, uh, put in, in place certain policies or better still grants, government grants, financing. Uh, it may not be have to be a, a lot, but it is really having that, that catalyst to spark off uh, the, the uh, commitments by different um, players in the ecosystem. Absolutely. I think you make a very good point about how the governments have a role to create the right environments and therefore the policies then encourage, you know, innovation as well as private sector commitments. So very, you know, exciting to see China, as you have mentioned, also, for example, electro electrifying their transport fleet um, and, you know, giving lots of incentives for people to take up electric vehicles. So I'm very excited to see the developments in the Chinese cities. But moving on from, you know, the role of government, um, well, let's talk a little bit about the huge crisis, obviously, that engulfed um, the world, you know, because of COVID-19. Many of them are still, you know, grappling with the public response to COVID-19. To what extent has COVID-19 impacted uh, Capital Land's business and your ESG strategy? Certainly, COVID-19 has upended a lot of uh, businesses and uh, given an unprecedented uh, reset uh, to human activities. Um, so on Cap in Capital Land's case, uh, we have uh, been affected. Of course, digitalization is a very important area and it's 
upgrading the digital skill set of uh, our entire staff force. And we have committed uh, more than $5 million towards this area to ensure that everyone is future ready um, or future adaptive. I would prefer to use the word future adaptive. Um, at the same time, we are, what we are um, also seeing that the social, the S in the ESG has become a lot more prominent. Um, so during the crisis, we have actually funneled a lot of our uh, uh, budget towards helping the community, helping our tenants, uh, and also helping suppliers, uh, uh, staff as well, uh, to thrive during this period. Touching on the aspect of ESG, you know, COVID-19 had obviously, you know, also exposed some vulnerabilities in, you know, human society and the migrant workers issue, for example, is, uh, you know, one of the issues that came up uh, and you talked about supply chain management. I just wondered, you know, to what extent can you influence the supply chain and your contractors and subcontractors um, to kind of look after the issues that address, um, you know, migrant worker welfare, because it was such a big issue during COVID-19 here. In Singapore. In Singapore, yes. That's right. Um, well, this was, um, in fact, we, we already have a code of conduct uh, where our suppliers, um, if they want a contract from us, they need to adhere to. And uh, that code of conduct, conduct addresses issues like uh, child labor, no child labor, no forced labor. Uh, we do not prescribe exactly uh, how the uh, suppliers need to treat their workers, but all these are pretty either broad enough and flexible enough for them to implement. But you can see that where the objectives are. Uh, so with the, the, the migrant worker issue in Singapore, I think it's already highlighted a lot of uh, maybe improvements that still need to be made. So, so we are trying to do that as well. So as an example, uh, we in many of our properties, we do provide like rest areas for our, our contractors to, to go to. Um, however, some of these uh, built properties have space constraints and we don't, we aren't able to do that. So we're now looking more into those areas and I think it's about different touch points and what, what we can do. That's really interesting to hear. And I think, you know, COVID-19 will continue to dominate us in 2021 but hopefully we can respond a little bit better having been through it last year um on a more personal note lynette you know you've shifted to sustainability amid a long career in real estate so if we can just share with our listeners what motivates you about your current role what inspires you and your team and you know how how much how much have things changed ever since you started your career well i'm uh, very um gratified to have been given this role to play. Um, personally, I feel that um, uh, the resources that are given to us in, on earth are limited. And uh, as uh, human beings, we have a, a, a responsible uh, responsibility in being good stewards of the resources. And uh, that will be able to help to extend the life and longevity of uh, anything that we do. So we are, in order for the businesses to thrive, we also need to ensure that we uh, take care of our resources. And the resources are not just the energy, waterways, but also the human resources and the financial resources. So I think um, having the background in real estate and uh, also having worked in many parts of the world, 
it has given me a very good understanding of what how um, I can possibly help the company to thrive um, by integrating sustainability. And I think that there are a lot of uh, opportunities for us to create value, as I've mentioned earlier. So I think it's really um, having um, understood running a business and looking from the financial aspect, and then now bringing in the other ESG aspects into it and combining everything to ensure that there is continued sustainability. Wonderful. I think that's every, something that everyone looks for in a career. So it was really, really uh, great to hear your journey. Um, as we you know, wrap up this podcast and um, think about the year ahead in 2021, what would you say would be your wish for the year ahead? What would you like to get out of this year ahead of us? Mm. You know, um, I was just reflecting on this uh, uh, in 2019, end of 2019, uh, I was hiking in New Zealand and uh, that was late spring going into summer. So I was expecting perfect weather. However, I was uh, really surprised that the mountains were still covered with snow. Many mountains, not all of them, covered with snow. So during our hike, um, there were landslides and uh, there were major floods, very unusual floods. And that actually put a lot of ob obstacle. In fact, uh, we were evacuated by helicopter twice okay. because of all these uh, constraints put in. And so it was uh, really eye-opening for me. And that's really a wake-up call uh, to me. Uh, and it was I, I felt that it was only a small glimpse of what could come uh, for climate change being an existential threat. So I think COVID-19 is um, just, uh, I think, a warning to us. And, and you've seen that um, the healing has taken a long time and uncertain as well. So I'm hoping that um, people would recognize that. And I'm, I'm really glad to see that a lot of the investors are already waking up to that fact. Many companies are already starting to mainstream sustainability. I think at the end of the day, the innovation is still very important. So um, that, may, that may mean that you need to really rethink business models and uh, also uh, innovation in, in the way our best practices are carried out. And uh, so through the Capital Land Sustainability X Challenge, we're hoping that it will really spark off uh, something. It is uh, uh, our inaugural challenge, and we are looking at you know, four different pillars of our master plan. But uh, uh, because of the overwhelming response, we're hopeful that we can do this every year, and uh, then we can then you know, stretch our and push boundaries in innovation in different areas so that uh, we can see the entire ecosystem thrive and be excited about uh, being on this journey together. Thank you so much, Lynette. It's great to hear that commitment to want to do this every year and to continually search for innovation. I think you also made a very good point by pointing out that COVID-19 really is a short-term crisis amid a much longer-term one that we're facing with climate change and that we really need to keep our eye on the long-term uh, response of our communities. So on that note, thank you so much, Lynette, to be wrapping up this podcast. That was a most insightful discussion and I've learned so much uh, from you. That's all for now, folks. Stay tuned for our next podcast and thank you for listening.